We are of Jude, although there is one more message. I don't know if I will preach it here, but I have one more to do of the whole book uh, concerning the work of missions and the encouragement of Jude. But today we come to the last section, the end of the letter, his doxology. Many letters will end with phrases to God and glorifications of God. And sometimes Paul in his longer letters will be writing for a while and he'll just get so excited he throws in a doxology in the middle of the book. But here at the end of the book, it's really wrapping up his final thoughts and they're they're all connected. The whole book, as we will read today, I think we will read the whole thing this morning, has been rather grim. Warnings about these false teachers, the dangers they pose the things they try to lead people away into. And this enemy, these false teachers and false prophets, they're sneaky, they're clever, they're devious, charismatic, evil, and quite destructive. And he's warning us not to get mixed up with them because they cannot lead us to God, but only lead us away from him. Last week we saw he calls on us to be careful to rescue those who have been tricked, rescue those who have been deceived, bring them back to God, bring them back to the truth, to the right way. And now he turns to this joyous and exalting confidence in God that God is able to do that, and God is able to preserve us and to rescue them from all of these things. And so we'll be looking at that today, but I want to read the whole book so that we remember all of these warnings that we were given and are encouraged in them. So, starting at the first verse of Jude, Jude, a servant servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord God, the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example to undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. 
But these people blaspheme all they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding only themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, (coughs) wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these in Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, And praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come together to think about the praise and glory of your name, we ask, Lord, for grace to us as we consider it, Be, Lord, with the words of my mouth, that they may be clear and true. And be, Lord, with my hearers, that they might receive and understand the blessings that come from your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. He says, starts off this doxology, Now to him who is able. Our enemies are very mighty and strong, and we ourselves are not really able We're not able to save ourselves from the consequences of sin. The payment, the price is too great. We read before, and I have more. Psalm 49, verses 7 through 9, that no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live forever and never see the pit. We owe God an infinite price for sinning against an infinite God. The wages of sin, even the smallest single sin, is death. And we do not have the ability to save ourselves from the consequences. Nor do we have the ability really to sanctify ourselves. 
Paul speaks of this in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul had worked his whole life to glorify God. And now he is writing that he has not attained that yet. He has not perfected yet. Even in, if you leave out his past sins from this day, he still says he is not pure. He is not perfect. And none of us are. We cannot make ourselves fully holy. We cannot perfect our holiness because we continue to struggle with that sin. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. In verse 15, he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Like all believers, Paul hated his sin, but he continued on occasion to give in to it, to commit his sin. And he understood that we could not perfect himself. He could not bring himself all the way to God, nor could he persevere to the end. If it is left up to us, at some point we would stumble, we would fall, we would turn away from God. We cannot keep ourselves even from these false teachers. All of us at one time or another have been tricked, have fallen into bad doctrine, have wandered off from the perfect truth of his word, because these people are deceitful and they're clever. And we need to be careful and need to turn turn our hearts and our minds to his word that we might compare it and understand it and know it. Be like the Bereans who check daily the things we have heard, the things we have read, so that we are not led astray. And also, as he has just called on us in verse 21 and, or 22 and 23, to have mercy and rescue those who have been so deceived, yet... We know we don't always have the power. We can spend our whole life wrestling with a loved one over the truth and have them never see it because we lack that power to rescue them. We lack the power to keep them from being led astray. We lack the power and the ability and the knowledge and the understanding to defeat all of these evil teachers in the hearts of those we know and those we love. But he is able to keep us from stumbling. Now the word keep there is really better translated to guard us. He watches over us, being careful for us, uh, making sure that things go the way he wants them to go. Paul talks about this stumbling in 2 Timothy verse four, or chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, the time is coming when people will not endure a sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that is what Jude here is talking about. They, they teach the things people want to hear. That was Balaam's error. Balaam taught what would pay, what would give him the money. And he taught the people to sin because that would lead him to wealth. These people, they teach what they want to teach to lead people away, to get followers after themselves. And it's hard. And so it is God who is able to keep us from stumbling into the sins they advocate and into the false teachers and the false prophets' doctrine as a whole. 
Now, most false teachers will give you some pass in some area of your life where it's then okay to sin. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to fear that. Do this and ignore that. And they enable us to be comfortable in our sin. And thus we stumble. And that is one of the great worries that he has. Jude says, woe to them. They walk in the way of Cain. They hate the truth. They hate the true God and they hate his children. They abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, teaching what people want to hear because that makes them popular and powerful and rich. And they perish in Korah's rebellion, rejecting what God has determined and turning to what people want instead. And so God has promised here in Jude to keep us, to guard us, to watch over us. Now this word isn't very common, but it is used in a number of interesting places. In John 17, 12, Jesus says, while I was with them, I kept them. This is a different word. It means to take care of them. Uh, it says, so while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them. That's the word in Jude. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And so Jesus is using the same word here, keep, to say that he has kept his people. Nobody has been lost. None of their souls are lost because he is keeping them. He's guarding them. Uh, Jesus uses the word again to command us to watch out for sin, to guard ourselves. In Luke 12, 15, he says, take care and be on your guard. The word in Luke 24, Jude 24, rather. Against all covetousness. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so we're to guard ourselves, guard our own heart to keep it from sin. But it is God, Christ, who guards us so that we are not stumbled and lost. So there's two kinds of guarding going on. Guarding ourselves so we don't stumble. And Christ guarding us so that we are not stumbled in the end. But able to be presented to God. Peter also uses this word in a similar way, referring to God's elect and their assurance of salvation. In 1 Peter 1, we did this months back. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept. Uh, this is that first word, not the one in Jude 24, taken care of. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And so just as Judas said that God is able to guard us and keep us from stumbling, that stumbling is the eternal kind of stumbling, as Peter mentioned. We're guarded by the power of God through faith for that salvation, which will be revealed at the last time. We are kept from stumbling, is his meaning. Not meaning the little sins and the little troubles and the major sins and the major troubles, but we are guarded for eternity. Uh, James uses this word 
or the word without the negative prefix. Uh, the one here in Jude is from, guard from, but the normal word just to guard is used by James, and I thought we should consider that. In James 2.12, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, fails there is the word stumbles in Jude, fails in one point, becomes accountable for all of it. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says... Connected to Bluetooth device. Oops, I think the power may be going weak. Uh, so if he does not stumble in what he says, then he's perfect man. We all stumble in many ways, but the stumbling that Jude is speaking of is the eternal stumbling, the loss of our soul in hell. These false teachers and pro false prophets are working very hard to stumble God's people. That was the sin of Cain, right? He, he did not like his brother being loved by God and being acceptable to God and doing what was right before God. And he blamed his brother and hated his brother and killed him. They want also to destroy us, to keep us from God. They want to shut up the kingdom of heaven and make sure nobody goes in. And that is part of their work, whether they think that way or not. This, this ongoing guerrilla warfare between these deceivers is really unending and it destroys the church and, and God's people if it's allowed to gain power. And so what a great comfort we have in this doxology that in spite of what these certain people are doing, in spite of their efforts, in spite of the success that they have, remember Paul says, in 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13, that all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, false churches and false religions grow well because people want to hear that. So they have success. In spite of all their success, in spite of all the suffering they cause to the weak amongst us in Christ, in spite of all their efforts to lead us astray with their false visions and false prophecies, in spite of everything Jude warns us about, God is able to keep us from finally stumbling. And that is such a great encouragement. He says of his sheep that they will most assuredly never perish. No one, no deceiver, no seducer, no, no false prophet with great visions, no false teacher with appealing doctrine can capture one of God's sheep. Jesus himself says in John 10, 27 and following, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And so he is able... And that is why this doxology is such a great praise, because we know God is able to defeat them. God is able to preserve the souls of his people so that they do not stumble in that way. And he is then able to present us blameless before God. Now, if you stand before God and you have guilt, God is perfect and just and holy and judges without, um, without consideration of who you are, 
If you have sin, you go to hell. If you have no sin, you go to heaven. Well, if you have earned the reward, and you go to heaven. And you know, People don't always remember this, and the false teachers want to turn us from that. I remember listening to a man I thought was a good godly Christian teacher, and in his later life he said, I could not worship a God who sent people to hell. And yet, God has assured us that the wicked will not stand in his presence. Psalm 5, uh, verses 4 and 5. You're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Sinners are not loved by God. The sinners who are loved by God are the ones who he has assigned his son to pay for their sins, and they will stand before him spotless and pure. Sinners are hated by God, and they will not stand in his presence. He must judge them. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 48, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Peter tells us in the beginning of his book, in chapter 1 Peter 1, 15 and following, that we call on a God who is holy, and we must be holy in our conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you call on a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. doesn't matter if we think we are sons of God or enemies of God. He will judge us for our deeds impartially. He cannot consider us or our parents or our social stature or the church we go to. He will consider us personally our sin. And that's terrifying. Why is it so? Well, because the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. He must give us the wages we deserve, or he would not be just. But he has both called us and granted us that, that righteousness, that, that blamelessness. Right? Jesus is able to present us blameless before God. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to the adoption of sons of Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So this was God's plan. He has planned some people to be holy and blameless before him. And he has shown those people then his love by sending his son to die for them, to take away their sins, to pay for their sins, sending his son to earth to live that life they did not so that he could earn the reward and share it with them. And that is all part of his eternal plan. And that is why we have this great doxology to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That is a great encouragement to our hearts. Confidence, not in ourselves. You, know, you read the book of Jude, and it's very depressing. We read each verse, and we think of all the things going on in this world, all the things happening in the church, and the weight of it can start to crush us, but we get to the end, and we know, no, God is able. They will not be victorious no matter what they may think. They are nothing but imposters and evil people. They will not succeed. And because we have such a glorious thought, 
we really can be encouraged by this. Uh, in the end of Thessalonians, Paul gives a doxology that says much the same thing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is faithful to do what he has promised, to cleanse us, his children, from our sins, to bring us to heaven. No one that believes in Christ, no one who has been called by the Father and given to Christ, will be thrown away. Our sin will be paid for in Christ, and we will be given to God, blameless and pure. Uh, Jude says that we will be presented with great joy, with exaltation, the word can also be translated. And why not? What greater joy can we have than knowing that we deserve hell and we are receiving heaven because God has chosen to love the unlovable, that God has chosen to wash us in the blood of his Son, that we are now whiter than snow, that we are without any blemish, as Jude says, because Jesus has paid it all. When we stand before God, we will be accepted, not because we are good enough, but because Christ has paid it all, because God has kept us from stumbling, because God has given us his Son. He has removed every blemish, purified every sin. When we stand before him, we will have been perfected in our lives, in our soul, at that moment. And we will be declared guiltless. We do not have to rely on our feeble work and our weak powers and our abilities and our desires even. But upon Christ and his work in God who is faithful and true. Now, this idea gets a lot of pushback from men. Men want to believe that they are in charge, that they decide for themselves that God cannot force them, that God cannot take them against their will, they say. But that's not really how it works. You know, Paul, under inspiration in Philippians 1.6, says, I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is not going to fail. God does not stumble. God, if he really started that work in you, if he took out your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh, if he's causing you to be filled with the Spirit, he's causing you to walk in his ways, then he will bring it to completion. Now, is Paul lying? Is Paul a madman? Is he a fool? Or is he speaking under inspiration? Now, God is able, we are told. Jesus also speaks the truth when he says, all the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You know, we come to him, we cannot leave. We have come to him. We are his children. God has given us to him. He will save us. And you know, People say, well, what if my sin is too great? Will God leave me? Well, Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or what if my unbelieving loved one, my child who hates God, what if I love them so much I want to trade places with them? Well, you have no authority to trade places because you can't pay for your own sin. Paul had this feeling. 
He said, I am speaking the truth, Romans 9, 1 through 3. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness with me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's speaking of his love for the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, how he would love to see them saved, even if it meant he was damned. But it cannot be done. And he knows that. He understood that. He said, I could wish, knowing that it can't be done. We cannot escape from God, and we do not want to escape from God if we have been called and saved. Now, some people have told me, what if my sin and my shame is so great I don't want to face God? I would rather be lost than arrive in heaven and deal with my sin. But can we remove ourselves from the hand of Christ? Can we hide ourselves in the pits of the, of the dead? Can hell keep us from Christ, from God's eyes? No. He has said he will never leave us or forsake us. His blood has cleansed us if indeed we belong to Christ. Now, sometimes the sins of people in the church are great, and it's really the proof and the evidence that God has never worked in their heart. But if God has worked in our heart, he will bring us to repentance no matter how far we may fall from him, no matter how far we might have stumbled by the wicked teachings of men and the deceitfulness of our own heart and the schemes of the devil, God will call us back because what he has begun, he will finish and he will keep us from being stumbled eternally. God is faithful. Should we trust in our own wisdom? Men sometimes think that they need to be in charge. If I'm not the one in charge, then it's not me, it's not nothing. I don't want anything to do with it. Should we trust the wisdom of men who say, I am the captain of my own ship, I am the God of my life? Because that's what they're really saying. Or are these people the ones Jude is talking about? You know, don't be led astray by those who say you have power over God. One of the most blasphemous things I've ever heard in evangelism is God has a vote, the devil has a vote, and you have a vote. God chooses to save you, the devil chooses you to go to hell, and you decide. It makes God and Satan equal, although Satan is a created being, and if you read Revelation, he's going to be grabbed by the scruff of the neck and thrown into hell. And then he's going to be grabbed by the scruff of the neck and thrown in the fire. He has no power compared to God. And the worst part, the worst blasphemy of that gospel is that makes you a mere man, a lower creature even than the angels, superior to God, because God is bound by your will. If God chooses you and gives you to Christ, you'll be rejoicing that your sin is paid for. You will be rejoicing that you have a new heart. You'll have, be rejoicing that you can have eternal life and salvation and be with the God who saved you. God is faithful to his promise. 1 Corinthians 1, 6-9 Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord. God is faithful 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot be lost because Jesus paid it all. We cannot be lost because God is faithful to his promise. And if he has promised to save us, he will save us. If we belong to him, what we struggle to do, God will do for us. God will bring it to completion. Yes, we are obligated to turn from sin to Christ. We are obligated to take off the old self and put on the new, which is being renewed in the knowledge and holiness. But though we will never finish it, while we will never complete it, while we are not able to completely do it, God is able. He alone has done all of these things. Just why verse 25 goes on to say, the only God, our Savior. Now, he is the only one. We are told back in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, and this is a passage that the Jews recited regularly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And all these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. <coughs> there is only one God. These false gods, these idols, these imagined things that people make up, they are not God at all. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.20 that the pagan sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And we are not to be participants with demons. We are not to be approving of these false gods that exist out in the world. In chapter six of First Corinthians, or chapter eight of First Corinthians, verse four to six, he says about eating food sacrificed to the idol. An idol has no real existence. He says there is no god but one. There are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet there is only one God, the Father, from whom are all things, in whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things are th through whom we exist. <coughs> Excuse me. There is but one God. These false teachers often lead people astray to the God of money, to the God of wishful thinking, to the God of pleasure. But these are false gods. These are at best demons. He alone is our Savior. And as a Savior, he is the only way, the only God, our Savior. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, First Timothy 2.5. In John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One of the many things taught by false teachers is other ways to heaven. Oh, your church and your denomination have one way, and this church has another way, and this religion has another way, and they all lead to God. But it's not true. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. There is no mediator between God and man except Christ. If you're seeking salvation in any other way, you're not going to get there. And if you follow these teachers who are saying you can get there another way, you've stumbled. You have fallen. He is our only Savior. 
Romans 5, 8 through 11, God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He is our Savior, and part of the great joy which we have in his glory and in his salvation is that he has done it all. We can all look to Christ and say, yeah, you know, thank you for your little part. I'm glad, but I have saved myself. I have made my own path. I have chosen. No, we rejoice because Christ saved us when we didn't want to be saved. We were drowning, sunk under the seas, slapping the hands away who tried to rescue us. And as we were sinking dead, he pulled us from the water and breathed life into our lungs. And now we know him as Savior. To him, therefore, be the glory. The glory is not mine. The glory is not my church's. The glory is not the evangelist who shared the gospel with me. The glory is God who caused a new heart to come into my life. The the glory is God who caused me to grow. The glory is God who, though I have stumbled, picks me up. The glory is to God who, though I have fallen, rescues me and sets me back on the course and will, on the day of judgment, stand by me and say, my blood has paid for his sins. The glory goes to God. And the majesty, he is the almighty king, the glorious one. He has the power, he has the authority, he has the kingdom. We should be amazed at what he has done and not minimize his, le- his life, not minimize his sacrifice, not ignore what he has done for us. Not ignore what he has told us and commanded us. He, is the, he has the majesty and it is his kingdom. He has dominion, not just over the world, but over the world to come. He is the sole Lord of creation. And we should acknowledge this and praise him for that. There is no place where the kingdom is not powerful. There is no place we can be or go that God cannot rescue us because some other king, the devil, controls that place. There are many who fantasize it would be better to be a prince in hell than to be in heaven. But there are no princes in hell. It is not a dominion separate from God. It is all God's kingdom. And in hell there will only be suffering and misery and punishment for sin. There will be justice. He has dominion over all things because all authority has been given him by God. God created all things. There is nothing in existence that God did not create. And because God created it, God has authority over it. And for that, we can praise his name and be thankful. He is able because all authority belongs to him. Not just now, not just in the future, before time, now and forever. He will always be God. He will always be Savior. He will always be able to work out all of his holy will perfectly. 
And that includes keeping us from stumbling and presenting us blameless before the presence of God, before the judgment, before his glory. And for that, we should have great joy. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that we sometimes struggle with books like Jude, which have many hard things said in them. But we know also, Lord, how important it is to keep ourselves from sin, to fight the good fight, to run the race, to keep ourselves pure and holy, to worship and glorify you with our lives, with our deeds, with our thoughts. And we thank you, Lord, that you are Lord of all creation, that you are all-powerful, all-knowing. And we ask, Lord, that you would lift up our hearts, that we might continue to labor for your kingdom, for your glory, fighting that fight with ourselves, with the sin of our society, with the corruption of our churches, with all things, bringing glory to your name and striving indeed to rescue those who are led astray, to in love teach and admonish and encourage those who do not understand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.